Tonight we're going to have a look at Romans 4. So if you have your Bibles, grab that out. And while you're going there, I just want to, I guess, catch us up to speed with what's happening in this book. Because uh, this book has a whole range of things going on. But uh, Romans chapter 4 comes at the end of uh, a pretty full-on first two and a half chapters. Uh, It's not that pretty. It's not that... Uh, amazing. It's actually quite, uh, it's quite hard to read it because basically Paul uh, in this book is basically saying, there's no one righteous. There's, there's no one worthy of God. There's, there's actually a hostility between God and his people. And, and in, essentially God is at war. Like there's actually not a whole heap of hope going on in the first two and a half verses. But then Paul moves to this incredible statement, this incredible promise at the end of chapter 3. And he promises this, and I'll read it out. It's, it's, it, Paul says this, and this is just unbelievable. There is righteousness from God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. I mean, are you kidding me? After he's just spent all this time building this big case of how you know, where, where no one's righteous, everyone's messed up, there's no hope, uh, you know, our works are just rags, you know, what we were talking about just before. And then he comes with the gospel, this grand news of Jesus Christ. How good is that? Is that good? Yeah. All right. If, you, if you're hearing me tonight, just say, yeah. Yeah? yeah? Very good. Yeah, or amen, or whatever you like, you know, whatever you guys do, just keep doing that. That's, that's great. That's really good. So then what Paul does in chapter 4 is just expand on this big statement that there is righteousness through, of God through Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to have a look at. And he uses one of the big Old Testament giants, Abraham, as his, uh, I guess, his case study. You know, we're going to examine him and he's going to explain about this gift of righteousness for all. And, and what we're going to have a look at tonight is just three things of uh, what righteousness is. So let's have a look at those three points. The three points that we're going to have a look at, three observations. Uh, firstly, the expense of the gift, the expense of righteousness. Secondly, the extension of the gift. So who gets it? And then thirdly, the experience of the gift. So when I have this gift of righteousness, what is that, what is that like? What is that experience like? So let's have a look firstly at the expense of the gift. How much does this gift cost? And so we'll start reading from Verse 1, chapter 4. Here we go. And it should be on the screen as well. Yep, here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not accounted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right, so what is going on in this passage? What's, what's going on in that just, that just that slab, that big chunk of text that we just read? I'll boil it down to just one thing. The expense of righteousness is free. And it's, it's free, so therefore we cannot boast or we cannot uh, demand it. So, so where does that come from? Well, well, Paul draws two comparisons in this passage. There's this idea of a wage and there's this idea of a gift. That's the first comparison between a wage and a gift. And verse 4 says that pretty clearly. It says this. It says, To the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift, but to his due. So if we were to think about this comparison, I guess what's the difference between a wage and a gift? I'm sure there's many things that's different between a wage and a gift. But one of the key things is that a gift is given and a wage is earned, right? Gift is given and a wage is earned. So imagine you've got you just work for a whole week and it comes payday. Thursday is normally that day for me. Um, and you rock up to the, you know, to the boss and he goes, hey, I've got a great gift for you. Um, here's your wage. Okay. Is the gift, is the gift the, what I work for? Like, you know, that I earned that? Or is the gift like a bonus on top of that? Like, where are we going here? You know, a little extra something. That's uh, just... It's just absurd, right? It's just bizarre. I mean, if the boss comes up to you and says, here's your wage, sure, we're all on the same page. But a gift is something that is given, not that is earned. Pretty clear, right? The second comparison that Paul uh, makes is between an attitude. So there's, on one hand, this pride, and this other hand, this humility. Where does that come from? Verse 2. Uh, Paul talks about if Abraham was justified by works, or in other words, he earned it like a wage, he could boast, but he can't before God. So I guess there's this like this sort of attitude about um, this, this gift or this wage. So on the one hand, pride will say this, say things like, how great am I? Yeah, pride says that. How great am I? I've earned this. I've worked for this. Uh, the other hand is faith, which I would say is more like a, a humble posture. It's more like this. How grateful am I? You see the difference between that? How great am I compared to how grateful am I? And so there's this, this tension that's going on between works and faith. And uh, Paul is making it very clear that it's about faith, not about earning it. Uh, another way uh, of explaining this. John Calvin actually explains it in this way. He says, he likens faith, and I'll, and I'll quote him here. He likens faith to that of open hands. Faith isn't a work, but a posture of receiving what God would give us. So if faith was like an open-handed posture like this, like I'll, I'll receive what God has got, um, I would imagine that pride or works is more like this, closed fist. Yeah, like I'm going to earn what I've got. I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to make something of it. So there's this real comparison between the two. And I guess for us as, as, as people, just in general, um, it can be hard to receive a gift, right? Um, because, you know, sometimes it's like, why is this person giving me a gift? Um, are they taking pity on me? You know, like, I bought you a new t-shirt and uh, just thought you could use it. And it's like, oh, you're saying my t-shirts are not so good? Or, you know, like, what are you saying to me? Uh, I can sort it out myself, I can earn it myself, I'll pay for it myself, whatever. Um, I actually come from a Dutch background. My, my last name, Wood, doesn't really like, imply that, but I come from a Dutch-Australian background. And uh, the Dutch, I'm not sure if you know anything about them, but they can be quite cynical, quite independent type people. So, and they're, they're very tight with their money, right? The Dutch. So... I love them. I'm just saying that's what we're like. Right? But anyway, so, so when something's offered for free, right? There was something on the table that you're going to get given. You start asking a lot of questions, okay? Yeah, you're with me? Like, you're asking questions like, you know, what do they want from me? And why are they giving me this? And are they expecting stuff in return? Like, you know, are there strings attached? You know, it's like you've just cast the line and... Uh, you're waiting for me to take the bait and then you're going to reel me in, you know? Um, and I guess righteousness from God can be seen like this. You know, sometimes we get this picture of God that, that he's, he's sort of, I guess, casting a line to get us hooked. He gives us this free gift and he's going to reel us in and we're going to be in debt to him, if that makes sense. Or like, like a money lender who would lend us some money because we can't pay for the upfront payment of righteousness. So he'll lend us some cash and then uh, you know, toward the moment of receiving the cash and then depositing the cash, he's actually more like, all right, now you're going to have to repay the cash, right? And uh, all of a sudden, we thought it was free but there's actually strings attached. But Paul is saying, no, this is a free gift. The expense of righteousness is not a strings attached thing like, uh, you, you know, I'll give you righteousness. Now you have to work hard for me. You have to be good and moral. God's not like that. He's not saying that. He's actually saying, this is yours. This is free. You can't earn it. And I'm going to give it to you. How great is that? How good is that? And I guess when you start thinking about it, you go, well, if, if that's true, if that's really true that this is a free gift, no expense on our behalf, what's that going to do for us? How's that going to move us? What's going to happen for us? And I believe two things. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that that should do, but I think two key areas where uh, that should change us uh, inside the first area is our thankfulness. Yeah? In our thankfulness that, that we've been given this free gift, we should move from this, um, you know, pride and this, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm not getting what I deserve and, you know, I, I wish I had more things and, you know, complaining about life to a place of how good is God? How generous? Like, I was messed up. I was doing crazy things. And he still forked out the cash to bail me out, right? He still come through with the goods when I was undeserving. How good 
is God. How great. And, and that should change us in the way we live. We should be complimenting. We should be encouraging people, speaking positively about things instead of nitpicking and feeling like nothing's good enough. How good is God? So that's one area. The second is that it should move us to be increasingly humble. Like, like if we earned it, we have something to boast about, just like Abraham. You know, how good are we, right? Uh, but actually, if we have been given this as a gift, it should be received like on our knees, like, God, <laughs> I can't believe it. I don't deserve it. And it should build in us this, this humility, this open-handedness. And I guess it, it should, I guess, um, move us to let go of our lives, let go of our futures and say, here, God, use me. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm submitting to you. I'm not going to lord it over you or judge you, but I'm going to be your servant. And it should lead us uh, in, our, uh, in our service to the world. And so I guess all of this in this passage is to say, you've got this gift. God offers it to you. You've got two options, not three, two. You receive it or you reject it, but you cannot earn it. That's the expense of the gospel. It is free, expense of righteousness. All right, moving to the second um, point, which is the extension of the gift. So who can receive it? If it's free, which it is, then who can receive this free gift? So the passage, let's, let's read it together. And uh, start taking off from verse 9. It says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? No, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the, circum- the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it was the adherents of the law who are able, who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed for all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All right. So what's, what's Paul saying in there? I mean, that's a lot of ideas and thoughts going on in that passage. We're, we're dealing with a whole chapter. So, I mean, we, we're covering a lot of ground. I understand that. But I guess to summarize this, Paul is talking about how righteousness is extended to all. Yeah? Righteousness is extended to all. It isn't based on this good works or this outward um, 
outward rituals, but it's based on a promise of God. So righteousness is extended to all. So where do I, where do I get this? Where, where is this coming from? Uh, verse 9 says, Is this blessing of righteousness then for only the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? In other words, is it for the Jews or is it for all of us? You know, if it's, is it for everyone? And basically, the response is that the gift of righteousness is not just for the people who are circumcised, which I'm grateful for. I'm sure a lot of the guys are grateful for. Um, but it is based on faith. Hey, how good is that? I should be hearing some more amens. I'm telling you, like, like that is just a, that's just a great truth of God right there. You're hearing me. Um, God is not so concerned with the outward of a person, but he's concerned with the inward of the person. He's concerned with the heart of a person. The circumcision, uh, it talks about the passage that the circumcision, circumcision was a sign of this reality. It wasn't the be all and end all, but it was a reminder to the people that, hey, you guys are cleaned up inside and you're righteous. You know, you're my people now. And so I guess circumcision is one of, those, uh, one of those things in the Bible, one of those symbols in the Bible. And there's many different symbols. I'm sure we could talk about that all day, but we don't have heaps of time. But it's just one of the symbols in the Bible. The Bible's full of that. Uh, also, cars are full of symbols. You know what I'm saying? Like our cars, the ones we drive and, and stuff, you know, like we've got wheels and stuff. Yeah. So cars, right? They've got all these symbols, you know, like... Uh, the uh, seatbelt symbol, yeah? You're driving along and there's a red light in the dash and it flashes. It's a symbol, right? Um, a fuel gauge light, you know, running low. Symbols are important, don't get me wrong, but they're not actually what's going on, if that makes sense. Let me explain this. So, a couple years back, right, I was working at a plant nursery. I was working at a, working at a church, studying part-time, working part-time, working part- I was working full-time with two jobs. Anyway, doesn't, don't need to go there. But the boss speaks to me. He goes, I need you to do a delivery. Right? I needed you to pick up some stuff and bring it back. And I was like, no dramas. I, the, uh, the work van is there. So I figured, grab the keys, jump in. It's a bit of an old, dodgy van. Looks good on the outside, mostly. Jump in, fire it up, starts up, no worries, everything's good. Um, lights flash up on the dash, all these lights, I, I don't know what half of them mean, but I know that because it's an old car, it just takes a bit to warm up, and then we're good, then you can go, right? Right. Well, that's what I thought, but what actually happened was, you know, I was driving for about five minutes now, the lights were not going away, I'm starting to stress a little bit. Start, the cab was starting to heat up in there. I'm thinking, why is the cab heating up? Why am I losing power? Um, you know, what's that smell? You know, thinking all these kind of things, hearing this sizzling noise, pull over to this service station. And uh, these lights are flashing, you know, the, the heat gauge, bang, off the Richter scale, right? It's just like, oh dear. Hop out and I hear these sizzling noises. I don't want to call the boss, so I called the foreman, right? I call the foreman. I was like, uh, um, 
and just taking the work van out, is there any reason why it should be like overheating and like things should be sizzling and stuff? The engine's not so good. Uh, and he, 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 uh, he says, I'll just leave it with me for a second. So he just goes, asks around like the workshop. Turns out the, uh, the work van was halfway through a service. So, so the mechanic had taken off the belts, like the, the belts for the fan and emptied the oil out of the thing, right? And so here I am driving this thing going, ah, don't worry about it. The signs are just, you know, it's just an old van, but it's actually like in, in big trouble. Anyway, long story short, I get towed back and everything's good. The boss wasn't too angry because it's a bit odd to leave the van in the car park ready to go. Anyway, it's not my fault. I'm just, I'm innocent, right? I'm innocent. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But uh, so got this van, this van story, great. What has that got to do with what, where we're going tonight? Well, it's this, right? The, the signs, the symbols on the dash, if I just covered them up, if I just sort of, you know, ignored them like I did, or if I, you know, just kept driving, you know, things would be in dire straits. Because the important thing about a car is the symbols are not so important as much as the things behind the symbols, the, the things that are unseen, like the engine, really important. And so I guess the, the, the key issue with humanity is not the outward so much, but primarily the inward uh, parts of us. And so these symbols are great, and they point to this great reality, but it's really important that first God wants to clean us up on the inside before he cleans us up on the outside. Obviously, we as Christians don't practice circumcision anymore. I already mentioned that. That's great. Um, but what's our big symbol? Baptism. Yeah, we, we practice baptism as, as Christians. That's sort of our big sign. That's our big reminder of what God has done in us, the righteousness of God in us. And so for us, like baptism is, is one of those, those grand moments where we proclaim to to the whole church, to those around us, that God has, has begun a work in us. Obviously, there's, there's things that we need to work through and, and that kind of thing, but God has begun a work in us. There's not all these hoops and, and things to jump through. And I guess for those of us who are Christians, sometimes we forget that you know, we all start pretty messy, pretty rough, and, and as we go through life, we begin to change into the, to the likeness of Christ through the power of God. But we don't start there. And so I guess the problem in the church and maybe the problem that Paul's addressing right here is that people are trying to get people to jump through hoops before they actually meet the love, the free gift of Christ. Yeah? And so this is, this is a real challenge and encouragement to us at the same time. It challenges us because we've got this... this uh, messed up people that God has, you know, has saved and we have to journey with them, be patient with them, be patient with ourselves when we are not all that we should be in Christ. And so there's that challenge of walking through life with people, discipling them. But there's also that great encouragement that we're not doing, we're not, we're not walking with people, we're not walking ourselves to earn Christ's love, to earn God's love, but it's already given to us freely. How good is that? Is that good? I think that's pretty incredible. 
And so I guess it challenges us to, to broaden our mindset on this idea of who God might save. You know, who God might save. It might be the most odd people that we come into contact with. It might be the most rough people. It might be the most moral people that um, we find in our everyday life. But, but basically, this passage is saying, don't cancel anyone out. Don't rule anyone out. I'm not sure what, what your context is like. Maybe it's a school uh, setting. Maybe it's a university setting. Maybe it's your workplace. We come into contact with people all the time that don't know the love of Christ, that don't um, experience this free gift, but society is pushing them. You've got to conform. You've got to behave. You've got to fit in. And uh, Jesus comes to all of us, them included, and says, hey, you know, I'm free. Hang out with me. You don't have to be someone. You don't have to do a special thing. And that's great because as Christians, we can extend that same free gift to others. We can extend that same gift to those around us that we're not going to hang out with you just because you're cool, but we're going to hang out with you just because, you know, and that's how we should live our lives. So that's a real challenge for us. And I really want to encourage us that and encourage you, you know, ask yourself the question. I've got to ask myself this question all the time. You know, who is that person that God would want to be gracious to through me? How could God use me to extend His grace? So here we are. We've got the first point, which is the expense. Free gift. We've got the extension to all. He extends His gift to all. And then finally, thirdly, we have this experience of righteousness. So what's it like? You know, what's righteousness like? You know, is it solid? Is it sloppy? What's going on? So let's have a look at that from verse 17 on to the end of the passage, to the end of the chapter. Paul says this, he says, It is written, Have I made you the father of many nations? In the presence of God, in whom he, he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told. He had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Since he was as good as dead, I mean, talk about just being pessimistic. He's just, he's already, anyway, the guy's alive. Where was we? Where were you? Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. How good is that? It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Pretty cool. I mean, how do you summarize that, Paul? Well, I think this is what he's saying. I think this is where he's going with that. You see this up and down human life, right? You got, you got Abraham with all these things that are going on. 
But it keeps coming back to this promise of God, back to the promise of God, this solid, certain thing that we can stand on, that we can believe in, that we can trust in. We've sung about that just before, actually. You know, this, 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 uh, we can trust. We're not going to be shaken. We're not going to be moved. That's something that we get to hold on to. Is that good? How good is that? That's great. So then, I guess, where does that come from? Let's, let's just have a look at the passage real brief. So God promises Abraham many things uh, in Genesis 15. And one of the key things uh, that uh, God, that Paul picks up on in this passage is the promise of a great nation, a great family. Yeah, you can see that uh, in verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations. Well, I guess the question we have to ask is, you know, right up front, when God made this promise to Abraham, was he a father of many nations? No. Did it look like he was going to be the father of many nations? No. On the contrary, right? A lot of obstacles, yeah? He's got, he's got age not on his side. I mean, Paul's almost burying him. Like, he's almost half in the grave kind of thing. Um, he has no children currently. So, he's like, well, I can't bank on that. Sarah's barrenness. So, there's things going on there. It's looking pretty hard. It's pr- looking pretty like, what's the word? Bleak. Let's use that one. It's looking pretty bleak. And then our passage sort of throws in this thing in the mix of, you know, Abraham, there was no distrust that Abraham had. Nothing made him waver. What else does it say? He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Now, if you are familiar with Abraham's story, it starts off around uh, Genesis chapter 12 and it goes on for a number of chapters. A quick read will, sh- like, will slowly tell you that this guy seemed to waver a bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure uh, some of the things that might be popping into your mind, but one example is, you know, he laughed at God. When God promised, he, he laughed, you know, it's sort of like... Ugh. Right, I mean, look at my age, look at my wife, look at, you know, my situation. Genesis 17 talks about that. Or in Genesis 16, where it talks about how he doubted that Sarah could fall pregnant. And so then what does he do? Or what does she suggest? I've got a maidservant, you know. Maybe let's just go with that. So there's this like sense that, what's going on, Paul? Why are you saying you never wavered? I think when it comes down to it, and I think this is what Paul is getting at, that life has its ups and downs, and we we have these moments where we we can doubt, and life's full of these moments where, is God going to come through? Is He not? I'm not sure. But overall, Abraham here is a great example for us. Is He not? He's a great example because when push came to shove, like, when he actually had got uh, Isaac as a son and God said, hey, I want to take him. Abraham was like, okay, I trust in you. And I'll, you know, we've worked pretty hard for this son, but I believe that you're going to come through with the goods. And so he offered uh, Isaac and then God, you know, the story, God sort of said, nah, that's, that's great. I can see your heart. We'll give you a ram instead of the kid. And so Abraham has this trust. And I think throughout our life, we can, we can sometimes find ourselves in this place with God where 
Is he going to come through? Is he not? And sometimes we might doubt God because of certain experiences that we've had in life. You know what I'm saying? Like a couple of years back, I, I met with a girl. Actually, she started coming to our youth ministry. And, you know, it was, it was great. She was a, quite a, a, a difficult kid. I'll just say that, difficult. Um, she was uh, going through anger management classes. She'd been going from foster home to foster home. Uh, she, was, uh, she was quite suicidal, getting some counseling, antidepressants, like everything. Like she was, she was a rough kid, but we were like, hey, we're a youth ministry. We want to welcome everyone, which is, you know, what you do, right? Youth ministry. And we're having this small group discussion. Everything was going great until she starts drawing on people and swearing at people. And I'm starting to think, I'm leading this Bible study. I'm thinking, this is supposed to be a safe place. We're studying the Bible. I mean, this, 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 uh, this girl didn't get the message, right? She was not familiar with the, the whole Christian thing, which is, sure, which is fine. I'm thinking just, just young, green, youth pastor. I'm thinking, what am I going to do, right? How am I going to, I going to, you know, put this fire out? So I go to her, I go, hey, if you behaved for this next 10 minutes, I'm going to give you a reward, right? I can't remember exactly what the reward was. It was probably, it was probably food, and which my wife, my wife who's a dietitian, is like, you never reward kids with food, right? You never do that. I'm like, why? Because it's like, it gives them an unhealthy view of food, whatever. Okay. But I was just like, I'm desperate. So this is like boost bar or whatever, you know, it's yours if you just behave for 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, great. I'm thinking, I've sold her. And she's like, I don't believe you. I'm like, oh. She's like, words don't mean anything. I'm thinking, oh dear. She's gonna, this is going to be harder than I thought. Throwing two boost bars. No, I don't know. Um, but uh, so I'm thinking, how am I going to win her over? I'm thinking, I know what I'm going to do. I promise you that I will come through. You know, I promise you, you'll get this reward. I'm thinking, paper, scissors, rock, dynamite. I'm thinking like, she's like on the ropes. She's going she's gonna to cave in. I've got this in the bag, right? And she just turns around to me real quick and she just says, my parents have promised me so many things uh, and they've never come through on their promises. Promises don't mean anything. And I was just like, oh dear, she's got me there. I mean, what, what can you do, right? So I just sort of took her out, like took her away from the group and we, we had a small group ourselves and other people. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about that. But sometimes we can see God as this you know, unloving father or these parents who keep promising things, but never coming through with the goods. But our God's not like that. He doesn't just throw promises out you know, to space, just hoping that we'd behave. Um, I was going to come through with the goods. I'll be honest, but, but, uh, but our God doesn't do that. And, and in our passage, Paul uses Abraham as an example of that. Abraham didn't have the promise to start with. He didn't see the reality of it. But God came through with the goods, didn't he? I mean, there's lots of promises that God promises Abraham. Um, we're not going to go into it now, but in Genesis 12... Look it up. Have a look at that. Genesis 12. There's these promises that God gives to Abraham. Three key promises. A great name, a great family or nation, and a great land. He promises those three things. And what does Abraham get? He gets all of those things. You know, he does get a great name. He's considered the, 
the Old Testament, great. He's got a great family. Israel is this big family. But not only Israel, it actually talks about him and what Paul's going to say. We'll get there in a second. But he's got this great family, this great nation. And finally, this great land. He gets this promised land. He doesn't see it, but God, God gives that to his people, his family, his nation. And so tonight, I want to urge us, I want to I plead with you, trust in the promise of God. Because unlike life that goes up and down, God's promises are firm. They're solid rock. And so I guess the question is then, what are the promises of God for us? Well, there are so many that we can't go into, but let's have a look at the three that Abraham got. And let's apply that to what we have. So if Abraham was promised a great family, a great name, and a great land, let's claim those promises as, as our own. Apply it to what we know. We're promised a great family. We're promised a great name. We're promised a great land. How does that work? Well, we have a great family. So when we believe in Christ, when we accept Him, His righteousness, He adopts us into the family. This church is built on that whole idea, that whole philosophy of this is home. Home is where family is. And so this great sense that when God welcomes us, when He makes us righteous, we are family. You and I, brothers and sisters, that changes everything. The second thing, a great name. We're no longer this condemned sinner. You know, you're useless, you're, you're worthless, you're, you're nothing. But hey, you're now a saint. You're now righteous. You're now good. You're now holy. God, God doesn't see you through the lens of your issues and your sin, but He sees you through His Son, Jesus Christ. How good is that? And then finally, this great land. We are promised a great land. Obviously not this territory, like you know, physical here and now, but we're promised this great promised land, this great eternity, this heavenly place, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. We're promised this, this eternal uh, place where there's no pain, there's no suffering. How good is that? How great is that? So we've got these three great promises. There's so many more, but we can, we can live on those things. We can bank on those things. And I guess if anything that I've said is true, if, it's, if the gift of righteousness is free, if it is for all, and if it is solid, that should move us to do things, yeah? yeah? That should move us so much in our humility, in our thankfulness. It should move us in the way that we relate to people who are not a part of the family yet. And it should move us that even though we have the ups and downs of life, we can live free. We can live generously to people because we have an assurance that outlasts just now, today, but we have this great promise of the future. How good is that? That's us, baby. All right, so what we're going to do is I want to encourage you just to just the final thoughts before we pray, before we wrap up is this. The promises of God are for all of us. Where do we find the promises of God? Where do we find them? Where did Abraham find them? Well, God spoke to him, yeah? God told him these promises. Where does God tell us these promises? He speaks to them, speaks to us through his word. There's so many promises here that we can enjoy. Spend time here. 
enjoy this book. Don't, don't just try and pull it apart and dissect it as this intellectual work or this history book. But there are things that we can trust in, that we can rely in. Let's love this book and go beyond the book to the God who spoke it. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much. I thank you so much that you would, the expense of the cross is free for us. While it costs you everything, while it costs you your son, it is free for us and we get to enjoy it. And I pray that we would enjoy it and we would dwell in that freeness. I also want to thank you that you extended it to us and all. You're so generous. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you that the experience of our righteousness is not up and down, but it is solid. That we can trust in that because you are worthy of our trust. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done. It's not our works, but it is yours. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.